Welcome into the At the Yard podcast. Today's guest is UC Irvine head coach Ben Orloff, who talks about his All American playing days for the Anteaters, the decision to leave pro ball, his transition to coaching, and all things Anteaters baseball. All that and much more on episode 53 of the At the Yard podcast. Welcome back to the At the Yard podcast. Really excited about today's guest is UC Irvine head coach Ben Orloff. Ben, thanks for joining the podcast, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, Les. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got to imagine that, like most other coaches that I've talked to here recently, this is probably the first time you haven't been on a field at, you know, what are we at here, May 26th, uh, in a pretty long time. So what sort of things are you doing uh, to keep yourself busy? Yeah, you know, I think that's a, that's that's the question we're all dealing with. You know, I think it kind of looks differently day to day. I mean, there's, there's way too much Zoom. Um, there's way too <laughs> much phone calls, you know, not enough. You know, what we miss is being on the field and being around the guys. Um, you know, so we're, we're trying to do what we can to be productive. I think, you know, for me, there's a lot of, you know, long-term projects that we're kind of working on, you know, and, uh, building, you know, material for our players when we get back in terms of having videos to show them, you know, like, uh, you know, here's a really good relays from right center field to the plate. Here's a really good job of a, you know, guy handling a same side breaking ball. Um, there's that sort of stuff. Um, there's, there's even, you know, going through a lot of the synergies, just on the teams that we missed for this year. Um, just kind of seeing what they look like and what their players look like to give us kind of a better idea for next year. Uh, obviously, you know, talking to our players, talking to our current team, uh, you know, trying to watch those podcasts and zooms and try to, you know, get a lot out of it. But, you know, it's definitely not what, what we'd like to be doing this time of year. Yeah, no doubt. I got I got to imagine that you're trying to find anything to keep yourself busy. And, you know, that synergy piece seems to be a pretty popular product with with certainly with all the colleges right and you know my understanding of it is it allows you to you know watch video clip videos and and kind of like you say put together for a lack of better terms a highlight reel of, of of certain scenarios is that the case with that yeah you know synergy was uh you know it's a couple of years old in our sport they've been in the NBA for a long time, but you know, it's, it's mainly for, you know, scouting opponents. There's an NCA rule that we're not allowed to go out and scout opponents. Um, so synergy provides a video share platform that we can all watch each other. Um, so it's really good to, you know, see your opponents have a good idea what you're facing, but also, um, you know, it's good for, you know, making teach tapes and showing our guys, you know, here's, here's, you know, here's a really good drag bunt. Here's a really good, you know, elevated fastball, you know, that sort of stuff's good to build content for our guys and show them. Yeah, that's awesome. The technology, the different elements of the technology are per, diving the diving into the game are, are pretty you know interesting and fascinating. But Ben, let's jump into your, your playing days, man. Uh, you you prepped at Simi Valley High School and uh, you had a, had a fantastic career there before uh, heading off to UC Irvine. And and I had Coach Serrano on the podcast last week, and he shared with us the 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 kind of the moment that you guys signed or that you signed with them and uh, do, I don't know if you recall that story or, or that scenario but I'd be interesting to hear you know, how you remember that story playing out yeah yeah I mean uh, how you know how I remember it you know they were uh, you know they were kind of talking to me and recruiting me and you know a lot of it was you know Sergio Brown uh, I think I was playing on the Mariner scout team and came on a visit and, you know, saw the campus and spent time with Coach Bergeron, um, you know, who's now at Wazoo, and Sergio and Coach Serrano. And, uh, you know, it was exciting that they were, I mean, they were, you know, in the midst of their first year. And, you know, he kind of painted his vision of what he thought U Servine was going to be and when we were going to get there. And, um, you know, he turned out to be a prophet. Um, but, you know, they, they, 
they wanted me to come and it was, you know, it was financial aid. It was, it was no baseball scholarship. Um, I had been talking to a couple other schools, not many, but was not, you know, nobody really wanted me. Um, and so just to, you know, I felt like, you know, coach Serrano, coach Bergeron and Sergio really wanted me. Um, I felt like they had a plan for me to be there. I felt like, you know, I believed the vision for the program that coach Serrano was selling, but, um, you know, more than anything, I just, I felt wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, that was kind of, that's what it was. And, you know, it was no scholarship, but, but again, I, I was sold on all those other things and it was, it was the best place that I ever could have gone. Dude, that whole nobody really wanted you, the schools that you were talking to. And how, how did you channel that? Because, I mean, you went on to just an awesome career at UC Irvine that, that we'll kind of get into. But, you know, how did you channel that, right? I mean, a lot of guys would, would be resentful or spiteful of that. And, you know, I can't imagine that you being one of those guys. But then you find a place that really wants you and has a plan for you. Did that Was that just kind of like a monkey off your back and just allowed you to play your game, so to speak? Um, you know, I, th- I think it was kind of, you know, and it's, it's still kind of to this day is a little bit of, you know, just a chip on your shoulder of, you know, you, you know, as a player, you, you think of yourself in a certain way. And some of that is probably reality. And some of that's probably fantasy. You probably think you're a little bit better than you are. Um, but you know, I thought I was a, a better player than, than a lot of people thought I was. Um, you know, and just like you see nowadays, I'm sure these kids deal with it. They see, you know, this kid or that kid commit to this school or that school and they think that they're better than them. Um, and you know, I, I felt like, um, you know, I felt like I was a good player and, uh, you know, just to, to, like I said, have somebody feel, you know, that they wanted me, um, that, that meant meant everything for me um you know and it was kind of you know i wanted to i wanted to prove you know coach serrano and his staff right um you know and the good thing is you know when you get to college and those next level you know you get to you get to prove it and you know we all you look up at the end of the year and in the career and you know we all we all see who the good players were um so that's something that you know has always stuck with me and still does today yeah and you know you you talked about coach serrano being a little bit of a prophet there and I mean, the way he put it was that you're going to be on the first team from UC Irvine that's ever going to go to, to Omaha. And, and sure enough, in 2007, you guys make it there. And I mean, it wasn't an easy road to get to Omaha in that year. I mean, it never is. But uh, you guys had to overcome some adversity on the road there uh, to get to Omaha. And, and what was that experience like as a, you know, you talked about, you know, you were you were a non-scholarship player. Here you are, the undisputed leader of the team at this point, uh, and you guys make it all the way to Omaha. And what was that experience like for you as a player? Yeah, I don't know if I was the undisputed leader of the team at that point. I mean, that was my sophomore year, and we had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of really good players, um, and I think a lot of guys that you know were were overlooked or weren't recruited for you know, for this reason, um, or another. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was, I remember watching the selection show, uh, you know, we had gone to, we had gone to a regional at Pepperdine the year before that, my freshman year. And I actually, um, Missouri won that regional at Max Scherzer and some other really good players. UCLA was in that regional. I actually had hit into a six, four, three double play to end our season. Um, <laughs> as a freshman and uh so we were all fired up you know to see our names get chosen on you know yesterday <laughs> memorial day <laughs> yeah uh you know we were going to texas and i remember at the end of the show i think it was kyle peterson or one of those guys when they picked their favorite to win the national championship i remember one of those guys picked texas i think they might have been the number two national seat at that point or something um and i remember going out there and you know i'll never you know it was at it was at round rock because dish falk was getting renovated at the time and Texas was really good. Uh, I remember walking into the practice uh, that Thursday night, and Texas was practicing, um, and kind of just you walked in there on Thursday night and thought we had a chance, you know, to win that regional. And 
Um, we beat Wake Forest. We beat Texas twice um, in some really well-played games, close, low-scoring games. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. And then, uh, you know, then we went to the Super Regional at Wichita State. And that was when Wichita was rolling, and they had some really, really good players. And we won a game on game one there, one nothing on a ball that we had bases loaded, and a, a freshman of ours, Sean Madigan, hit a ball like off the pitcher's glove that scored the only run. Um, and then we won a crazy one in walk-off fashion uh, in game two. Brian Peterson hit a ball off the wall, um, and so the semi that run was like nothing we'll ever forget. And that, that was actually, you know, I think, you know, our programs had a, you know, a lot of success, you know, somewhat in the last. 15 20 years since it's been back but 2007 was the first time that you know you Irvine ever won a division one postseason game and so that whole ride was was really special yeah then the you know come up a little bit short there in omaha but then in 2008 your junior year uh somewhat of a gut-wrenching defeat right in the super regionals uh you know three outs away lsu scores five runs in the in the top of the ninth <laughs> Uh, now, I can't recall, did that force the third game or was that in the third or to win the, the Super Regional? No, that was that was in game two. We won game one, I think, maybe 11 to four. And yeah, game game two, Danny was starting. For, these, are, these are bad memories that we're bringing up now. Um, <laughs> Dan, Danny we'll get to actually, some good ones here in a minute, yeah, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was 6-4 double, 6-4-3 double play to end our season and now losing to LSU. Yeah. <laughs> um, Danny actually started game two for us and uh, we were up seven to two after seven, you know, seven to four after eight. And, um, you know, and those, those are the last games ever played at the old Alex box. And yeah, they scored five runs in the ninth and beat us. And then they, um, you know, came back on game three and, you know, I think we all were confident that we could, you know, still pull it out in game three and they scored a ton. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the heartbreak in, in 2008 for us. So after that, you, you've got a decision to make, right? You're, you're selected in the 19th round by the Rockies uh, but you make the decision to come back for your senior year in, in 2009. What what kind of led you to make that decision uh, rather than, you know, I suppose striking while the iron is hot? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I love college baseball. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be coming back. You know, I knew we were going to be a really good team. Um, I wanted to go back to Omaha. Uh, you know, I loved my teammates and the coaches and the situation that I was in. Um I was going to be able to graduate in four years, uh, but it was actually, you know, it was, it was, it was not a too tough of a decision and it was probably, you know, among the, the best that I've ever made. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, the main, the main motivation was you're coming back there and you're, you're trying to get to the college world series. You know, we got to, I got to see what it was like in 2007 and we were so close in 2008. Um, you know, and I, I wanted to come back and you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to go back to the college world series. And, you know, you come back for your senior year and you had a ton of personal success, right? Big West Player of the Year, Brooks Robinson Award winner, uh, and you eventually get drafted in the ninth round uh, by the Astros. But in that period of time, there's a transition in the head coaching staff between Dave Serrano, who ends up leaving to take the Cal State Fullerton job, and Coach Gillespie comes in, right, a legend in the game. What was that transition like? And what, what were some of the, I guess, similarities and differences between the two? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. Um, you know, we, we had gone to Omaha in 2007, um, and obviously, you know, Coach Serrano and his staff had done a, a great job, like I said. I mean, that was the, 2007 was the first time UC Irvine ever won a Division One postseason game, and, you know, we end up winning, you know, a couple games in Omaha. And, uh, you know, so that that offseason, he was, you know, courted by a lot of schools, uh, you know, and he ended up, he ended up taking that Fullerton job late in the summer, and, 
you know, I remember him him telling us down in our clubhouse, you know, not too long before school started that, you know, he was taking another job. And, you know, it was heartbreaking for us because, uh, you know, it's it's tough when, you know, the guy and the staff that you come to play for, you know, go somewhere else. Um, but, you know, that's part of part of, you know, what, what we see in college baseball. Uh, and then, we you know, we got fortunate enough that, you know, they replaced him with, you know, Coach Gillespie, who's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, who is. I mean, on the shortest of lists of the best college coaches in the history of the game, um, without little debate. And so, you know, we were really fortunate to to get somebody like him. That somebody like him was available. Um, you know, I think the job that that he did and his staff did. You know, coming in, obviously, you know, the team had good players, um, but they did a, a great job. And um, you know, if for somebody that wants to be a coach to get to play for two different really good head coaches um, who did things you know, dramatically different, uh, ended up being, you know, huge for me, you know, for the rest of my life. But, you know, I can't say enough things about, you know, what coach Gillespie, you know, meant to me as a program at that time or as a player at that time, um, you know, and all the, all these years since, you know, I read somewhere where, where, where he called you a once in a lifetime athlete. And you're obviously a fan of college baseball. You're a college baseball player. You know, you know, what, what the name Mike Gillespie means in college baseball, what is that like hearing that from a guy of his ilk, you know, to say, you know, he's a once in a lifetime athlete. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of a little bit older and he's forgotten some of those other guys he coached at SC. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's nice to hear. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, again, whether it's, whether it's true or not, um, that's, that's up for plenty of debate. Um, but you know, is it to 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 be around somebody like him, um, you know, who is just so far ahead of his time and had so much success throughout all the years? Um, you know, that's what just you know that that my relationship with him and being around him every day means you know means a lot you know more than more than that stuff. But it's it, it's it's you know it's nice to hear for sure. Yeah, you you played five seasons of pro ball with the Astros, and you know I'm I'm really intrigued by by this. In you know in 2013, your final year. You had your best season as far as batting average is concerned. You know, nearly hitting 300 at 298, and and you made the. Did you make the decision to walk away um, at that point, or what? What was it that prompted you to retire from the pro game? Yeah, um, you know, it was kind of a. It was a tough process where you know the the year before and in 2012 I was in Lancaster in the Cal League. Um, and doing real right and, and went up to to double a because jonathan vr actually broke his hand and he was playing short and so i went up to double a at about the halfway mark in 2012 and and did well and was on a, was on a really good team with some really good players um like guys like george springer that are you know superman um <laughs> and then came back to came back to spring training that year thinking that you know now finally i had you know become not necessarily a prospect but somebody you know, that the organization could see moving up and playing and, you know, kind of my whole career leading up to that, um, you know, I was always, you know, an extra guy uh, at that time when I was with the Astros, you know, the the major league team, I think, lost 100 games three years in a row and they were building for the future. Um, and that minor league system was was awesome. And the players they were getting, uh, it was a great system. And um, so I was always, a, you know, a fourth infielder that, you know, would would play on the day games, would play on getaway day. Um, you know, would struggle to carve out a, an everyday role and had always done fairly well. Uh, and so the first time I ever became, you know, kind of a regular was, was that second half of the year in, in, in double A in 2012 and 
like I said, did did pretty well, and we lost in the playoffs. And coming back in the spring training in 2013, I thought finally, you know, having performed in half the season at that level, that I'd be, you know, looked upon better in that organization. Um, had had a coach that was a really big supporter of mine, um, Keith Bodie, my, my my manager at that time, um, and went back to Double A and was playing for him and was playing every day. And um, you know, he he really liked me, and that was you know that I was playing third base, shortstop, second base, first base, DH, where you know he was playing me pretty much a different position every night. Um, just to get me in the lineup because we had a lot of guys that had you know gotten drafted a lot higher than me and signed for a lot more than twenty five thousand. Um, and so I, I, I was playing well. Um, and I remember we we came into the field after an off day, um, and I wasn't in the lineup. And uh, at that point, I had been playing every day. And he called me into his office and said that you know the, the front office had told him that you know we got we got to play the prospects, and um, you know I, I can't I can't be playing every day. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously hard to take when, when you're a player and, you know, you, <laughs> you like to play and you like to compete. Um, and so that kind of, you know, led me to start thinking about what's next. And, you know, I'd always talked to Coach Gillespie as, you know, as a coach and then my friend. And um, he was going through a staff change. And, uh, you know, he had approached me about um, if I'd be interested in coming back and coaching. And I told him I was. And um, this kind of went on for a couple weeks and, uh, the, the last game I ever played, I, you know, I, I got four hits, um, didn't play for, you know, four days. And then coach Gillespie offered me the job during that stretch. And I took it and walked to my manager's office and quit and came to work. Wow. That's, that's quite the story. I didn't know that about you. That's, that's really, it's fascinating, right? And then you, you get hired there to UC Irvine and, and, you know, for the right, just in time for the 2014 season and then another magical run for the Anteaters, right? Yeah, and I think before that too. I, I just think you know the, the Astros. I got no no resentment or nothing towards the Astros. We got Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve. Those guys made good choices. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, made, they made they made the correct choices of which guys to play and promote. Um, so there's that. But yeah, and then yeah, so I, yeah, I, I came back and started working like in maybe July of thirteen, just trying to figure <laughs> figure the job out. Um, and yeah, we had it. We had a. 2014 became you know a, a magical season and you know it, it starts with really good players and we had you know andrew morales who you know was at rio hondo junior college who they had you know recruited was already there and had gone 10 and 0 as a junior um he was back as a senior and he wins 12 games and leads the country in strikeouts and um i thank him every time i see him to this day for <laughs> letting us go to omaha um <laughs> taylor sparks our third baseman was a second round pick connor spencer was a seventh eighth round pick with the rockies chris rabago who's still playing um and so we had a lot of really good players and um, elliot surrey who's coach serrano's ops um was huge for us uh yeah and it was you know it was magical we you know we go to that oregon state super regional and they're the number one ranked team in the country and they got Michael Conforto and some big time left-handed pitching and, um, you know, win that regional and go to Oklahoma state who had won the big 12 and 48 games. I think that year, and I think the big 12 sent three teams to Omaha that year. Um, play against them and go to Omaha. It was, it was special. I was, I was fortunate. I walked into a really good situation. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and so you fast forward and, and, you know, Skip announces that he's going to retire and, you know, the, the, what everybody assumed to be the case it was the case right you're, you're kind of named the the head coach and waiting if you will and and then you're finally named the head coach in july of 2018 and you know i, I hear it a lot like the when home calls right i mean basically irvine is your home uh you know you played there and now you've been coaching there for so long it, it, you're obviously not going to pass that up. It's your first opportunity to be a division one head coach. And, you know, my, my guess is you're going to be there for a long, long time, but you, you, 
you hire Danny Babona, your your old teammate, uh, to be, uh, you know, one of your assistant coaches, and you hired JT Bloodworth uh, to be the second paid assistant there. You know, JT's got a, a phenomenal reputation, you know, as a recruiter and just a, a grinder and, and, and a coach as a whole. And, I mean, how special is it for you to, you know, kind of still – work with you know what i got to assume is one of your better best friends and, and danny you know former teammate and you guys get to see each other every day what's that like and i mean how special is that for you uh you know as a person let alone a head coach yeah it's i mean i mean you nailed it it's it's special i mean we were we were really close as players uh you know we played together Irvine for three years uh, this is another guy that you know he, he turned down six figures his junior year to come back and and pitch his senior year, senior year Irvine to try to you know go back and win. Um, so I mean, it's a guy that sacrificed a lot for the program as a player. Um, you know, he goes out with the Cardinals and got off to a great start and tears his labrum, and that ends up being you know what forces him into retirement. And you know, same deal. Coach Gillespie, you know, takes a chance on a young guy with no experience and hires him and gives him a you know a ton of responsibility. And I mean, this guy's twenty. 20- four years old calling pitches in the college world series against Vanderbilt, um, <laughs> you know, and so the amount of experience that he has at a, had a not very, you know, advanced age. Um, but I think just all, you know, our familiarity with each other, um, knowing how we both like to do things, knowing kind of what the expectations are, um, some shared experiences, uh, has been really good. I mean, he's been really good. And, um, you know, and in not that long of a time, you know, he's really, you know, become you know one of the best pitching coaches on the west coast um you know and that's kind of you know evidenced by you know how well that we've pitched you know ever since he's been there you know you you mentioned there that you know coach gillespie gave gave him a ton of responsibility is that something you kind of do as a head coach right is that kind of your approach is is let your coaches coach and and just kind of say hey this is what we want to accomplish and you know get it done sort of thing or or are you more of a a hands-on type head coach yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I mean, I think, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, somebody's got to write up the lineup. Somebody's got to make a pitching change. Um, so I think, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, falls on the head coach to have the, um, you know, the direction for the program and the, the final say and all that stuff. But, you know, I think that, you know, it's important and probably the most important thing is to have really good people around you. And I think that's what, you know, what, uh, what we've done. And, you know, we talked about Danny and, you know, JT, I had known for, you know, five or six years recruiting and, you know, what he was doing down at UC San Diego. And, you know, when he was down at UC San Diego, they, they only had one scholarship for the whole program and fully funded at that levels, I think nine, um, you know, they went to back to back world series and, you know, everybody that's out knows how much he's out and, you know, how resourceful he is and make do with less, um, you know, and then, then the coaching standpoint, you know, his last, you know what he what he does with what hit with hitters, um, just the people that he's been around in his you know playing and coaching career from Andy Lopez to to Dan Hefner to Gary Ward. Um, you know I think the last two years at UCSD I think they hit over 300 as a team with over a 400 as a team on base percentage. Um, you know and then Mitch Holland now who's our volunteer who you know his 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 work ethic and his reliability and trust worthiness and um you know he's just smart he works um so we got really good people and so it makes it easy to you know let those guys do their job yeah let's talk a little bit about recruiting because you guys have had just awesome success here recently in in recruiting uh well i shouldn't say recently i should say last six seven eight years uh in in recruiting guys that you know maybe are a little under the radar guys maybe guys that are overlooked a little bit maybe kind of like the way you were as a player 
but the development of those guys into really high-end prospects is something that fascinates me because uh, you know that that you don't see you know the the knock on college baseball is well they're only with them for so so long that they don't develop players right and and so uh, you hear that and it's kind of hard to to accept that because i look at a program like yours where you guys are taking some guys that like i said maybe are a little under the radar and those guys are developing into you know top five ten round draft talents and so you know what's kind of the philosophy in recruiting when it comes to you know your program and and how has that varied since you took over as the head coach yeah um you know it's changed a little bit since i've been head coach just because you know we, we added you know jt to the staff when you know when when uh it's always been you know me and danny and now we added jt so obviously it's changed and brought in some of his personality but you know you it's it's it starts with work you know there, there's no substitute for work and um you know you're trying to you're trying to know who the players are and see as many games as possible and you know we're really lucky on where we're located um you know the amount of games the amount of players within an hour of us in any direction i mean it's 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 really easy to be at a lot of games um and so it starts with that. And I think it's identifying, you know, kind of the right type of kids that, you know, are going to be a fit for us. Um, you know, and we tell kids like, hey, like we're, we're not a good fit for everybody, um, you know, and everybody's not a good fit for us. Um, you know, that's just that's the reality. But, you know, we're trying to identify guys that that, you know, they, they already have a certain skill set that, that we think is is usable. And, um, you know, we see areas where they can improve, whether, you know, physically, physical maturity or some other areas and um you know we've been fortunate enough to to identify some of those guys and bring them in and it's you know it's a very uh you know black and white <laughs> recruiting process there's there's no false promises made it's it's uh you know we 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 don't get some guys because that too and, and that's okay um you know and i i think to your point you know you gotta you gotta develop the players and you know it's, it's this word that we all use and um, you know, it's, it's cool that, you know, we were able to tell guys and in 2019, you know, our last full season, um, whatever this season was, you know, we ended up having seven players get drafted. Um, I don't think any of those guys had ever previously been picked. Um, that was the 16th most of any school in the country. Um, and it's a credit to those players. I mean, those guys were, were really good players that, you know, developed a little bit later maybe than some of the other guys um, their age and, you know, ended up having, you know, really great careers for us and have got off to a nice start to their professional career. Yeah, I like, I like that point there. You know, the guys that maybe developed a, a little bit later and, and you, you said the word fit there a few times. And, you know, you hear that a lot when you talk to coaches about, you know, recruiting and, and, and just, you know, players in general. And so, uh, you know, when you're competing against, the schools that you're competing against that recruit Southern California and, and, you know, basically everybody in the PAC 12 and in your own conference and some other conferences, uh, do you kind of take that mentality of, of, you know, when you were a player, how you love to compete and apply that to recruiting and what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Hey, I was, I'm a, I was a walk-on player. I think I'm a, you know, walk-on coach. And I think that, you know, I, I, I know you got to put in the work. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, it just starts with, you know, you, you try to see as many games as you possibly can see. I mean, you know, you obviously, you know, your network of people that you trust to tell you about players, um, obviously is, is crucial in all this thing. Cause you can only be in so many places. Um, but there's no substitute, you know, for getting out and seeing guys, um, and seeing a lot of them, seeing them as much as you possibly can before you have to make a decision on a guy. And, you know, that's why, you know, typically we, you know, we haven't, we haven't gone after too many young guys um, just because we kind of want to, you know, see a lot of them. Um, 
so but it's 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 competitive and then that's you know that, that that's what makes it fun you know it makes it fun you know competing and recruiting against you know all those other places that you mentioned and so that's you know you get you get the competition in that regards too do you think that you mentioned it a little bit there you know recruiting has gotten younger and younger with, with you know kids now in eighth grade committing to some power five schools and you know and whatnot but do you think that is sustainable for the college game do you think that maybe it hinders the college game at all yeah i'm not smart enough to have a good opinion on that one way or the (laughs) other um i I know hey it's it's i just you know for us you know it's really hard for us to evaluate you know a a 17 year old a 16 year old an 18 year old and know you know what he's going to be like at you know 18 to 22 um so i just think you know the more and more you you move that process up the you know the harder it is to really know what you have you know in a 14 year old or a 15 year old um so i think you know there's i think it'd be hard to hard to debate that but it, you know it, it's people have you know people done it and i'm you know to say we've never talked to a, a 15 year old you know it would not be true um but i you know i think it definitely makes it you know makes it an additional layer of, of difficulty yeah absolutely i'm curious you know given the school you're at where does where do academics fall on the checklist for you yeah, I mean, academics for us is a big, you know, selling point in, in, in recruiting. I think, you know, that whole UC system is like the best public system in the country. I mean, I think all of those UC schools are among the top, like, 12 in the country every year for, for public schools in the country. And so, you know, I think you, you know, we try to appeal and recruit kids that, that value academics from families that value academics that realize that, you know, at one day baseball is going to end um, and to have a degree from a school that's really, you know, really good matters um for us you know we we like to see um you know i I like to see kids that have good grades i think you know the transcripts and the test scores um, they don't always tell us everything but you know i think it tells you a certain level of of intelligence um i think it tells you a certain level of of work ethic and commitment to doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it uh you know and when we really you know we want to have smart players in our program um and so i think to have smart players in your program you got to recruit smart smart kids um because i think you know the 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 smart teams win um and so it's you know we we get we got to identify you know kids that are intelligent and obviously you know it you got to be a good baseball player too, but um, but we, we we value um, you know we, we we value that 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 intelligence. Right, you 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 named a lot of players that you played with or that were in the system with you with the Astros. That you know you look at them and, and you think, oh man, that that's a really really good player. And uh, you know I'm curious on, on your take on leadership and, and what you guys do at UC Irvine because generally. You know, you look at a team, you see the best player or, you know, one of the two or three best players and you say, you know, there's your team leaders. Right. But, uh, you know, there are teams and, and I've been on them and I'm, I'm certain you have at some point where, you know, your best player, quote unquote, isn't necessarily the team leader. And so I'm, I'm curious how you guys, you know, define and, and, and cultivate leadership in your program. Yeah, that's a tough question. We and we were talking as a team um, about this last week on on Zoom. Um, you know, we're watching those Jordan documentaries, and yeah. um, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity, you know, for us as a team and, and coaching staff to talk through that stuff. And it's good to, you know, for me to hear from the players. I think lots of times, you know, as a coach, I'll, I'll talk too much, and um, you know, I, w- I want to hear from the players and to hear kind of what they're what they're picking up from that documentary, um, you know, they're all watching it. So it, it gives them something to talk about. And, um, you know, you, you see that. And, you know, I made the comment to them that, you know, 
Phil Jackson's awesome, but you know, in these documentary, you know how he's portrayed, he's almost like a background player. Those guys lose, and they say they're scared to come to practice because of because of MJ. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I think that that player leadership is so you know it's so tough. Um, it's it's so hard to to be a leader with your peers. Um, we all want to be liked. Um, we want to be friends. I think that's that's human nature. Um, you know, I think for us, we you know we we try to. Um, we tried it with our players. Tell them, you know, when when we're coaching you, you know, that, that we're, we're coaching you. We're trying to make we're trying to make you better. We're not criticizing you. Um, and I think even you know with our players, one of the players made the comment of, you know, this is just it's a, you know on the field versus off the field. That you know you're you're not a bad guy. I'm just trying to you know get you to do this better. Um, but the, but that's that's a big thing. And I think you know for us, you know, to answer your question, you know, we 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 don't. Um, there's no hierarchy of you know of age or class you know the grade that you're in um, I don't I don't think leadership has a, a birthday requirement um, I think there's that and I think that you know we have guys that, that want to be coached I think you know nobody in our program is above um, being coached and you know especially you know it starts with your best players and you know we're fortunate our, our best players like being coached um, and, and so I think that kind of helps you know trickle down to the rest of the team yeah and so you know there's that balance right i mean you have you have leadership and you want to cultivate it but you know how do you how do you balance that part of of leadership with not forcing leadership on guys right i mean you know maybe you have a a a one of your best players that wants to be coach but you know isn't a very verbal guy or or very vocal guy or or you know maybe you have a guy that's that's maybe you know not one of your best players that is overly vocal you know how do you balance that and what, what sort of strategies do you use there i mean i think you you, you know you got to in my opinion you got to encourage guys to be themselves you know and I, I don't think uh you know i don't think the loudest voice is necessarily the best leader um i think there's times obviously you need you need guys to to be more vocal in in some sort of regard but uh i think guys got to be themselves um, you know, I, I think if a guy's not himself, he's not going to be comfortable. And if he's not comfortable, he's not going to be able to perform like he like he wants to. And I think so. You, you got to encourage guys to, to be themselves. Um, you got to explain to them, you know, what what leadership you know looks like. And you know, a, a good leader is somebody who you know is reliable and does things right all the time. You know, and you know, if you do that, you're kind of setting the standard. And you know, and if you can bring others along with you, if it's you know get a guy out of his locker to go hit early with you or go take round balls with you. I think, you know, that's leadership. Um, but I think, I think, I think guys, same thing with coaches. I mean, I think you, you gotta, in my opinion is you gotta, you gotta be yourself and, you know, lead or whatever to, to your personality. You know, you, you touched on it a little bit there with, um, with, with the leadership piece. How do you think that's changed from when you were a player to now? Cause you, you know, you said, Hey, we all want to be liked. We all want to be friends. Uh, you know, do you do you think that that was the case uh, when you were a player, or was it more kind of the old school, you know, loud guy, uh, you know, I'm the leader of this team sort of thing? You know, how is it different from when back from when you played? Yeah, I don't know. As a whole, you know, if it's different or the same. I mean, I remember I, mean, I played with guys that were, that were more vocal and loud and. Um, you know that's what it was, and, and we and we still I mean, we still have guys that are that are like that. Maybe it's maybe it's less now, um, maybe it's less now. But I I think hey I think that was the struggle when I was a player. I think that's the struggle now with you know with with you know especially with you know kids that are eighteen to twenty two years old that live with each other and go to class with each other. Um, you know to really hold each other to high standards um, and be on them to do things right. Um, 
you know, I, I think that I think that's hard, <laughs> and I think it was hard 15 years ago, and I think it's hard now. Um, you know, I think it's just the education process of you know we need all of us, and um, you know you need your teammate to you know to, to get where you want to go. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point there. I, I want to shift gears a little bit, Dan, uh, uh, Benny, because I read an article about um, you were in on a conversation with with uh, Eric Bakic and a number of different coaches about this new baseball model potential uh, proposal and, and I'm curious you know maybe you could tell the listeners a little bit about what that is um, and kind of the purpose it serves hey I'm not a very good resource to talk on that my, my name wasn't an article I, I listened in on one zoom um, <laughs> and so I so I have like slightly more um, than everybody else does via via social media and d1 baseball um, I, I listened in on one zoom um, I think you know the uh, you know, Eric stopped behind it is, is, you know, backing up the season to, to, you know, start four weeks later, um, go into the summer. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't have much inside dope on that one. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. No, it, I mean, it seems pretty interesting, right? I mean, it gives you guys some extra time. Uh, you know, certainly it, it allows some parts of the country to warm up. Um, but you know, I mean, even in Southern California, that early part of the season, we're generally dealing with a lot of rain, uh, you know, it seems like a really interesting thought, right? I mean, just to push things back to mark the start of the season would be March 18th with the College World Series uh, running in the middle of July. And, and I just I thought maybe, uh, you know, you could shed a little light on that. But there was a really fascinating article. Uh, but let, OK, let's so let's shift back to the spring season. And, you know, you've mentioned Zoom a few times here during our call. And uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, aside from, you know, not being on the field with the guys, for you, what's been the most challenging thing to deal with with the cancellation of the spring season? I mean, I think initially it was it was you know it was it was you know you you first worry about you know your players and and how are they going to take it, and then I think as a coach you always shift to what's next, and you know we were kind of for I don't know, felt like longer than it was probably, but waiting to hear you know what is the ruling going to be on eligibility. What is the deal going to be with the draft? Is it going to be you know five rounds, ten rounds, twenty rounds? When is it going to be? What's the deal with free agent signing? Um, is a one-time transfer rule going to pass? Um, so you know we're spending a lot of time thinking about you know all of those things, um, and then I think you know you can get it's easy to get caught up in the things that you can't control and let that stuff you know consume a lot of your time and instead of just kind of having plans and waiting to, to see what happens and then deal with it then um you know i think it's i you know i admittedly can fall into that trap of worrying about um you know a lot of things that might not happen uh yeah. and so then i think i think now you know the shift is you know how can we how can we use this experience to better ourselves and you know how can how can i use it to to become a better coach um how can all of our coaches use this to to become better at what we do and be able to teach it better, drill it better, practice it better, um, you know, and the challenge to our players of, you know, how, how can we come out of this better, you know, because we're, we're going to come out of this eventually, um, even though some days it doesn't feel like it. Uh, we'll, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be back to, to some semblance of something at, at some point. Um, so, you know, how, how can we use this as, you know, as an, op- as, a, as an opportunity for us to grow and get better? You know, and, and you know, that leads me to- you know, we talked about Zoom and, and, you know, growing and getting better and getting better, obviously, for a baseball program starts with, with recruiting or may not start there, but it certainly plays a role. But how has recruiting been for you guys during this? I mean, I got to assume it's a, you know, a lot of phone calls, a lot of, you know, either to high school coaches, club coaches, uh, you know, the players themselves. But, you know, what what's the recruiting been like for you guys 
Yeah, it's 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 been different and and uh you know tough to navigate where um you know we all we're all used to this time of the year going out and seeing games and getting ready to get really busy. Um so you know we're we're kind of so we're on social media, we're talking to a lot of, you know, high school coaches just to try to identify, you know, who, who are the guys they like, who are the guys that, you know, we didn't get a chance to see in the spring because, you know, we're, we're, we're located, we're still even, you know, during the season able to get out and see a decent amount of games and not really miss too much time with our current players. Um, so, you know, we missed out on a, on a large recruiting window and, um, you know, right now we're just trying to talk to coaches about who they like um see you know what guys are doing on social media or you know what videos are popping up and just talking to some of these younger kids and just trying to line it up so you know whenever this does it open up and we're allowed to go see games that we'll kind of have a list of you know these are the guys we got to go see like right now yeah and so you mentioned their social media a couple of times how, how important is that for you guys right i mean Obviously, if a kid's popping off, he's probably not going to be the right fit. But, you know, if a kid is, is, you know, maybe, you know, a pretty good kid on social media and maybe, you know, something surfaces on him where he's, you know, being a jackrabbit and whatnot. And, you know, how, how important is that to you guys and how closely do you guys monitor that stuff? Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's a player we're recruiting, we we, we want to know as much as we possibly can about them, and you know their social media certainly um, comes into play. Um, you know, it certainly comes into play, and uh, you know, and we're and we're definitely looking at it and trying to find out as much as we possibly can. Uh, you know, to figure out, like, I mean, not just you know, is he the wrong kid, but is he the right kid, and you know, try to see, you know, what are they talking about, what are they doing, who are they with, and um, but you know, I, I think it's. But obviously, you know, a lot of that's going to be talking to the coaches about, you know, who knows this kid the best. And, um, you know, we just get to see him at you know, field five a couple times in the summer. <laughs> so talk, <laughs> let's talk about coaches. Uh, you know, what 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 do you guys do? And I ask this question pretty much of everybody I've had on the podcast. When you get conflicting information, right? High school coach tells you, hey, Benny, this guy's going to be the ideal fit for your program. You're going to love him. You know, and then maybe the club coach says, man, he's not for you. Uh, you know, what, what do you guys do at that point to make sure that you get it right? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of depends on, you know, what that information is. Typically, um, you know, the stuff we really want to know about, um, you know, is the, right, those cliche words, the makeup, the intangibles, you know, what is this kid like at practice? You know, what, how is he like with his teammates? What is he like when you cut? We, we want to know those things. And, um, you know, we'll talk to people closest to him about, you know, how they are, um, you know, and there's, there's certain things that, um you know, are, I don't want to say non-starters for us, but the talent better be at a, at a really high level if we're willing to, you know, willingly, um, you know, take some of those, you know, issues, whatever they may be. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's, you're, you're weighing all those, um, that you place, you place big value in those, especially with the high school coach who's around the kid on a day-to-day basis. Um, in terms of like the, the, the talent, you know, I think that, you know, you don't always have the time to see guys as much as you want, but I think, you know, you got to make, you know, at the end of the day, if, you know, if we don't, if we don't recruit enough good players and we don't win enough, you know, I'm going to be the one that gets fired, not, you know, a high school coach or a travel ball coach. And, you know, I think so sometimes it's not that, um, you know, we're not, don't value their opinions. Um, but you know, we know our roster. Um, and so it, it's got, it's got to work for us. Cause you know, at the end of the day, like I said, if it doesn't work out, you know, we'll, we'll be the ones that get fired. Yeah, no doubt. And 
Uh, so let's let's talk about the cancellation of the spring season. Uh, do you, how long do you think this is going to impact the college game, either from a, a numbers point, a, a rostering standpoint? I mean, I know you guys are are, are probably not going to be overly affected from a roster standpoint, uh, just because of the way you guys recruit. But do you think this this will have a uh, you know either a short term? What are your thoughts on either the short term or the long term impact on the college game? Yeah, you know, it's hard to really be sure, you know, what the what the lasting impact is going to be. I think, you know, the immediate impact is that, you know, there's going to be some really good players in college baseball next year that, you know, in a normal year would have got drafted and been playing professional baseball. Um, you know, I just I look I can only speak, you know, to our roster and I sure, look now sure. and everybody's got red shirt next to their name now. Um, some of them have like two red shirts and so I think everybody's, you know, uh, their their academic career is now further than their baseball career. Um, so that's going to create you know, something that's never really happened before where we've had this many of red shirts. Um, so it's going to be, I mean, you know, it's going to be a, a multi-year, uh, multi-year, I don't want to say problem, but a multi-year, you know, that we'll be, we'll be dealing with this for multiple years. Um, how exactly it'll look like, um, you know, it's kind of to be determined, but I think, you know, in the immediate future, I mean, college baseball should have a bunch of really good players next year and should be, you know, really, really good product to watch. Now, do you think it'll lead to any changes in the college game? I know that, you know, they've talked about the one-time transfer rule. They've talked about, you know, the eventuality of, of <clears throat> excuse me, potentially more scholarships. Uh, you know, you know, the third paid assistant is a very hot topic that seems to be having been pushed aside here. But do you think that this will lead to any changes in the college game? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I, I you know, I thought. I thought just from following on, on social media that, that, you know, tracking that one time transfer thing, um, I thought that that thing, uh, you know, had a chance to get passed. Uh, it seems like it's been tabled it for now, I guess. Um, I don't know about, you know, I think we'd all like more scholarships. We'd all like, uh, you know, a third, a third paid assistant coach. Um, I, th- I think right now, like what's going on with the budget for, you know, across the, the world with, you know, these schools being impacted and obviously a lot of people being impacted with their own jobs and careers. Um, personally, I see it being hard for us to, to make some of those changes now in the current climate that we're in. Um, I know it's something we'd all, we'd all appreciate. If there's one thing that you, one rule change or one thing that you could add to the, to the college game, what would that be? I wish we had more time with the, I wish we had more time with the kids. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, we all get the reasons why we have, you know, the, the NCA rules and the hours and the restrictions that we have. Um, but just, you know, personally, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to have more, you know, more time to be able to practice and being around the team, especially at, you know, at a quarter school in that fall, um, the falls, you know, a, a first time being around a lot of these guys or first time seeing them since the season ended. And, you know, our fall is just really rushed. Um, you know, I think, I think this coming year, I think our first day of instructions, October 1st. Um, so we get, we, you know, we, we just, you know, as a coach, you, you want, you want more time around the players to be able to, you know, coach them and be around them. And that's the one thing that, um, you know, I, I, we, we, I think we'd all like, you know, more time. Yeah, absolutely. Before, before, uh, Benny, before we hop into the rapid fire, I got to ask you, I read an article where, uh, as a young man, you were a pretty prodigious piano player. Are you still playing the piano? And, and tell us a little bit about the story. The story said something about your dad considered removing you from baseball because of the risk of injury potentially to your hands, or, or maybe the instructor suggested that or something. Tell us a little bit about that. Are you still playing the piano? No, you went way back in the archives. Um, <laughs> no, no, I was. I played for a couple of years when I was probably, 
eight, nine, 10, 11. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't really remember much about it, but yeah, I think I, you know, was taking to it really quick and was pretty good. Um, I ne- never really liked playing. I never would really practice during the week between my lessons. <laughs> um, but I guess I would go back and be, you know, all right. I remember, I remember having to go to the recitals when I was young and, you got to like play a piece that you prepared and then they'd give you a piece that you never saw before and you're playing and, and that's, that's pressure. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I have, I haven't played in a long time. I think I can still play maybe take that to the ball game and one more thing, maybe. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I had to ask you about that, but all right, Benny, so we, we do a thing here to close things out with coaches. It's a rapid fire and you know, I got about, I don't know, a dozen or so questions to ask you. First thing that pops into your mind uh, just fire away and, and uh, you know, we'll go from there. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm good. All right, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Hey, man, I think whatever it takes to win today. <laughs> Country or classic rock? Country. Sprouts or Whole Foods? Uh, Whole Foods. In and out or Five Guys? In and out. College football or the NFL? College. Trackman or Rapsodo? Trackman. Favorite vacation spot? <laughs> Not Arizona in July, Washington. Um, <laughs> uh, um, maybe Santa Barbara. Okay. Uh, cable or stream? Cable. Mac or PC? Mac. Best singer on the team? Oh, I don't know. Those guys don't do that stuff around me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, eliminate, that eliminates the best answer on the team question. So, <laughs> favorite stadium you've ever been in? Uh, Roseblatt. Go to song to sing in the shower? Oh, um, um, I don't know if I'm a sing in the shower guy. Okay. Favorite sports team? Uh, right now, the Dodgers. Most memorable team you played on? Uh, 2007 team that went to the College World Series. Okay, well, most memorable team you've been a part of as a coach. 2014 team that went to the College World Series. <laughs> Perfect. That's a, I figured that would tee you up for that one. Awesome, <laughs> yeah. Benny man. I, I man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I really appreciate you. You know, carving out some time. I know you're busy and uh, you know coming out and talking a little bit about UC Irvine baseball and your career and uh, just really really thankful, man. Thanks a lot, Les. Good talking to you. I want to thank UC Irvine head coach Ben Orloff for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news and information. Until next time, we'll see you at the yard.